Thrones on the Table, a podcast about board games, card games, and tabletop war games. Welcome back to episode 59 of the On the Table Gaming Podcast. I'm Chase, and after a nice holiday, we are back and ready to kick off 2020 with some more A Song of Ice and Fire content. Now, today, I'm really excited to be joined by Ron Krasnick, one of the top players out of the Mythico Studios roster and the winner of the 2019 A Song of Ice and Fire National Championship event at PAX Unplugged. Now, it's for the 1.4 rule set, but Ron's already been tearing it up under the 1.5 system, and I'm really excited to hear his thoughts on the update and his general approach to list building as he is a Night's Watch player. So uh, without further ado, let's jump right into it. So, Ron, welcome to the show. Hi, how you doing, Chase? So, you know, before we jump into things, uh, it was awesome getting to go down to Mythico Studios recently to actually to meet you. And I, of course, I saw you at PAX kind of across the room. You were playing <laughs> at the top tables. I was down in the, low, the loser's brackets. <laughs> but uh, before we get into things, one of the great things about A Song of Ice and Fire, the miniatures game, is that it brings people in from all different sorts of backgrounds. So we have people that are war gamers. We've got traditional board gamers. We've got people that come in just from playing collectible card games. So, you know, some people, this is even their first jump in from any sort of gaming. So uh, what's your what's your gaming background? So my gaming background starts back uh, like early middle school, sixth, seventh grade. I started playing uh, Warhammer Fantasy with a couple of friends. And then as we got a little older, moved into Warhammer 40K. And then when uh, War Machine first came out, we were about sophomores in high school. And uh, me and one of the other players that also plays the Song of Ice and Fire, Mythicos Henry, got really into it. And we both played competitively for a very long time. And then like, you've had that competitive itch for a while, then <laughs> you're, yeah, no, you're no uh, stranger <laughs> to that stage. Yeah, only with War Machine. Uh, I found it very hard to try to be anything competitive with Games Workshop games because I just couldn't put the time into making those games work, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, things happen when Mark III dropped for War Machine that I didn't really care for. And a bunch of us moved to Infinity. Oh, and okay. then uh, we played Infinity for a while. And then around this past Father's Day, we happened to be, you know, looking at the shelves at the store. Saw a Song of Ice and Fire. I've been there for a while and we kind of just uh, jumped right into it. Now, had you been a fan of the books or the shows? Does the IP call to you at all? Oh, yeah. I've read uh, all the books that are available. I enjoyed all of them. And the show was <laughs> <laughs> probably like anybody else who's read the books. You know, the show wasn't the best thing going. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. We'll say we'll, we'll leave a comment here on the last season can be a, a different podcast topic. Um, well, that's awesome. And then and now, you know, you're well known for being a Night's Watch player. Was that the first faction you jumped in with? You know, how did you end up settling on them? So there was uh, four of us that jumped into the game all together, myself and then uh, other three players from Ethicos, Henry, Ryan, and Brian. Mm -hmm. And none of us really knew what we wanted to play. So Brian had picked up a starter set, and basically we played like a two-versus-two game. You know, two of us took the Lannister side, two of us took the uh, Stark side and kind of learned the game that way. Mm -hmm. And nobody still had any idea what we (laughs) wanted to play except for Henry. He really fell into Lannisters, so Lannisters were spoken. And then uh, Ryan really liked the Boltons, you know, the more uh, okay. he got into it, so he picked Boltons. And then Brian and I were kind of kicking Starks and Night's Watch back and forth at each other. And finally, I just pulled the trigger and said, well, screw <laughs> it. I'm going to play Night's Watch. You can play Jeez, Starks. <laughs> I, I, that's not how I envisioned, though. The amount of success you've had as a Night's Watch player, I figured there was, like, 
you know, a lot of master plan. It sounds like it was like the last kids at the the field. You're picking for like dodgeball or something. It's, yeah, we yeah, were the last like, few kids. <laughs> Fair right. enough. So, you hey. know, uh, you've had a lot of success with Night's Watch, though. It, I and have. And have you run them mostly exclusively since you've made that that choice? Yeah, honestly, I didn't pick up any other faction until I was lucky to get uh, two Baratheon boxes from someone at Gen Con. Mm-hmm. and i kind of messed around with them for a little bit but i always would keep going back to night's watch because like many players i don't think baratheons are really in a set place to play right and actually recently for christmas i picked up um the hand of the king side of starks to just paint primarily oh nice so, so we might see you out there uh winning some games of Starks in the future too then and Brad. Yeah, that's going to be a ways down the road. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. So, you know, you had a lot of success at PAX, you know, you are the national champion and I know you've got a pretty deep roster down at Mythicos with guys you play down there. Um, so, you know, I'd love to jump into your thoughts on kind of where Night's Watch are now, you know, unfortunately I don't know if your 1.4 lists, how they carried over into 1.5, but, you know, did did 1.5 really change the way you play the game dramatically? Not really. A lot of my 1.4 lists transferred over to 1.5, only being, you know, two at most three points over. Um, I never leaned heavily on Sworn Brothers as great of a unit as they are. It was very rare for me to have, you know, anything more than two in a list if I even had to. So you weren't you weren't running, uh, you know, the, the spam list of just like maxed out Sworn Brothers? no not at all well so you know maybe jumping in on that then uh if someone was kind of new to night's watch or maybe even um uh someone who's been playing for a while um what might kind of a sample list look like or or you know how do you approach playing night's watch and what maybe advice could you give to people who are are trying to find success with them as well so one of my favorite things about night's watch is I can make you vulnerable for the entire game. If you ask Chris Pizonic or any of the other guys from Mythicos, I play the Cav, the trackers, very aggressively, and I will keep most of your army under vulnerable throughout the game. So if now I, are you running a single unit then, or are you stocking up on them? It depends. I actually, for the tournament you and the other guys came down for, mm-hmm. uh, a couple nights before I was talking with my buddy Brian, about how we wanted to play all cavalry lists. And I said, well, <laughs> I know there's one way I can make an all cavalry Night's Watch list, and it's three trackers, two flayed men, Otho as the commander, and Bowen Marsh as my second four-point NCU. Whew. Oh, my and gosh. Now, <laughs> you were luckily, there. Luckily, I didn't face <laughs> you with that. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I was fortunate. I went 3-0 and that day with that list. Oh, my gosh. But, yeah, so- I mean – when you have unit you know, like flayed men that have vicious and crip low, and then you have the utility of awful giving them precision or even off of charge turn rerolls, it just, they blow units up. <laughs> yeah, I could definitely see that. Um, and so if you're seeing players out there that are, are not running trackers at all, you, you're probably going to say that that's a, that's a, a kind of, they're overlooking a unit there. Yeah, I can honestly say there isn't a single Night's Watch list that I've made that does not include at least one unit of them. Oh, okay, interesting. So I thought we saw we might have seen some echoes of that out in other metas. I know there was a guy Gary Luther who was running a Night's Watch list that had two trackers. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so that's that seems to be kind of what's developing here as kind of a, a cornerstone for Night's Watch. Now, are you running other units? I, I know there's some more controversial units, things like siege weapons, like the stone thrower. Does that make it into your list ever? No, I can honestly say I played the stone thrower once as kind of a gimmick game with a buddy just to see how it was. And for 10 points, I just couldn't justify it. But unlimited range, right? That's the <laughs> Yeah, no. it's got unlimited range, but you're still, you know, you're missing, you know, a third of the time mm-hmm. unless you're playing awful and then you're dedicating a rerolled card to it or you're playing the spotter and it just it didn't work well for me is I guess the best way to put it. It just wasn't something I felt comfortable running. And then are you making use of any other ranged units besides trackers? Are you putting cross on your list? Oh yeah. I have, uh, I, have, I, I, I really like, packs, right. Did you have crossbowmen then? <laughs> yeah. I really enjoy playing the crossbowmen, um, especially with Braun or in my Alistair list, I put commander Alistair in them. Yeah. And I just, you know, I execute units with them. Um, if you play Baelish right, you can get sometimes, you know, two or three shots off with that unit in one round. And it just, it devastates people. Uh, that that is a terrifying unit to put Alistair <laughs> Thorne in. I think a lot of times maybe people overlook, or maybe if you're not a Night's Watch player, you're overlooking it, but his prey on weak ability. If the de- if the defender has a destroyed rank, this unit gains plus one to hit. If they have two destroyed ranks, this attack also rolls plus two attack dice, and that works on melee and ranged attacks. So that's pretty yeah. brutal. Oh, it's absolutely brutal. Nine dice on a three plus. Ugh. Uh, it's nine dice on a two plus at that point. Oh, good Lord. You're right. <laughs> oh my God. That's horrifying. Yeah. Oh. So I've used, and it keys off on their order as well. So I've had, you know, units of knights charge me that were possibly down one rank and it's okay. I'm hitting you on a two up now. Right. Oh my gosh. So they're sending that volley in early on and sundering. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big deterrent. And you're actually increasing their charge range by two because you can shift back before they even Oh, jeez. You're right. Yep. Man. Well, I don't know. Do you, I don't know if you have a list builder handy here, but what if we, uh, what if we pulled up a, a blank list here and we started trying to make a list? Um, so I actually, I actually pulled out my phone, and uh, I have what's been pretty much my favorite Alistair list to run so far in 1.5. And it includes uh, Builder Crossbowman, obviously, with Alistair Thorne. All right, so we're dropping them right in the top. And we got to just have a cool name or something. Are you one of those people that gives a fancy titles to your list? Or? No, this one's actually <laughs> called Alistair 1.0. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, if you're, if you're out there and you're, you're following along, this is, the, this is the national champs list. So maybe that can be your title. Uh, all right, so Builder Crossbowman with Alistair Thorne. So that's our first item in there. So we're at seven points. Yep, and then I have Sworn Brothers with Jon Snow. Okay, that's a, a pretty and, solid inclusion as well. Yep, and then I have a second of Sworn Brothers, this time with Dario Naharis. Oh, interesting. Now, I actually, I have to admit, I haven't actually put him on the table yet. What are you liking about him? Oh, he, just from the two-point attachment aspect, if you put him in any unit that has crit blow and any kind of decent um, melee attack stat, yeah, 
they he they just blow units up because and so you're using that just to hunt anything or you're just trying to hit specific like armored targets high wound elite units high wound elite units flayed men totally sworn swords are my favorite targets with these <laughs> oh, units God. um if you roll average you should be able to one round flayed men oh my god and i've done it to a couple of people several times <laughs> that's terrifying okay but it's a very situational ability. You want to use it on the charge for the reroll. Mm -hmm. Don't use it if you're weakened and don't use it if you disorderly because now you have a higher chance of causing wounds to yourself. Gotcha. Okay. So that it's makes a sense. very, yeah, you have to pick and choose your uh, time to use it. But 10 dice, you know, rolling sixes blow up on crit blows, <laughs> two unsavable wounds, and then sundering after that. Yeah. <laughs> And you should have your opponent under vulnerable almost all game. All right, so there's got to be uh, the next thing up has to be some ranger trackers, then, right? Absolutely. Got to get <laughs> those vulnerable tokens out. That's right, and that's my last combat unit next to a free ghost. Okay, so when you're riding your ranger trackers around, mm -hmm. um, you know how how are you deploying them? Uh, I feel like this is a unit that a lot of times uh, newer players have trouble with getting the maximum value out of. Uh, because of the short range, you know, that's somewhat easier to get with your cavalry free maneuver. Um, but how are you maximizing their damage output? Uh, are you kind of just skirting around shooting into combat? Are you just looking for that vulnerable token? Are they token holders? What's what's your go-to? So a lot of it depends on my opponent. Um, last game I played against uh, my friend Brian, he was running his Tully heavy list, which is two Tully cav and two sworn sword units. And... Honestly, I used him as a speed bump. Hmm. I threw him out in front of his calf, dared him to charge me based on the cards I had in my hand, and he didn't blow him up. So now he's stuck in place because I used um, Shields of the Realm Men. Mm -hmm. And I was able to, after the attack, then use uh, Watcher on the Wall to free move that unit oh, of God. Swarm Brothers with Dario. Oh, yep. Okay. <laughs> and I pulled a flank charge off and absolutely <laughs> destroyed that unit. Okay. So a lot of, yeah. So a lot of people don't value their utility as a way to slow your opponent down, especially if you have a way of adding to their defense. Right. Because with a lot of attacks, you're bound to roll six. And then with Shields of the Realm, you know, if you're lucky, you can keep that one model alive that you need. Right, because Shields of the Realm is the uh, automatically blocking D3 hits, and if you control the wealth zone, um, each time the units attack, you automatically block them. Correct. Um, automatically block D3. So uh, that's a, a pretty good way to negate some of those hits coming in. So, you know, you've got these four combat units and, and Ghost, mm -hmm. um, and then what are you throwing in for NCUs? I've actually just started using Eamon recently again. Um, I wasn't using him for a while because of the increase to Bow and Marsh. Um, it's kind of opened up that slot again for Eamon to fill into, I think. Hmm. So my NCUs for that list are actually Eamon and Bowen. Okay. So you're still taking Bowen. The, the changes to him haven't... Um... It has not dissuaded me from using him in... I don't use them as often as I did because now it, like I said, it opens up bringing in Eamon more often or Baelish in the few lists that I didn't have him in. But uh, I'm starting to play Eamon again, and I'm actually starting to enjoy him. 
Were you surprised at all by the increase in point cost in 1.5 to Bowen Marsh? Um, a little bit. I didn't. I could understand the uh, reasoning behind it because the drawing of the card is so powerful. Yeah. Um, if you ask Chris and some of the other guys, there's a lot of times I'm, I have my deck in my hand by the end of round three. (laughs) (laughs) So, and I think having card advantage in this game is huge. Mm -hmm. So I can understand it. Um, I think it's a little heavy handed due to what some of the other three point, uh ncus can do but again their abilities primarily are one use only uh three point for just all factions you mean like yeah like sansa and aria i can understand because it's a one use ability but looking at uh an ncu like picel yep again i understand you can't uh comparison across factions right but i mean handing out a weakened token or possibly two (laughs) weakened tokens if he takes the envelope you know, it gets, um, I think that that could, uh, very easily be a four point ability. I understand it being three. I, I feel like what's really happening in this podcast <laughs> is that everyone listening, who's not playing night's watch is going to be like, okay, we need to get these, uh, weekend tokens out because we're going to get exploded <laughs> by these elite, you know, sworn brothers throwing, you know, no save sixes on you. Yeah. So. Um, night's watch are fortunate though, because they have fires so they can <sighs> kind of negate that. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, one of one of the I don't play Nightwatch really frequently. It's uh, something I'll throw out every once in a while just to be a little bit familiar with. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, Jorah Mormont, um, yes, Oath of Duty. When he influences a unit, you count as controlling all tactic zones for any vow effects on that unit at four points. Is he someone you're throwing into your lists frequently? I had played him in the very beginning when I only had two starter boxes mm-hmm. i played him a bit um and to be honest with you i probably haven't played him in ooh, probably close to july or august was the last time i actually put him on the board yeah that was actually kind of something i was a little bit surprised with was 1.5 i mean i think bowen kind of makes sense to me uh i feel like i see him a lot and he's mm-hmm. very effective um i was a little surprised that Jorah mormont wasn't touched anyway though because I'm not seeing him in many games anymore. Um, uh, to either be honest as commander or NCU. <laughs> yeah, to be honest with you, he doesn't really appeal to me in either way. Um, some of the other Night's Watch players at the store, I haven't seen them playing him either. Hmm. Okay. Um, Neutral Heroes Box 1 didn't really help him any in that respect because it was such a strong box. Right. But, yeah, I mean, I'd like to see a little bit of change to him when I would probably give him, you know, a chance again, but while his influence is good, it's, uh, it wasn't anything that I ever really felt necessary. Right. Hmm. Is there anything that you feel like is really missing from the night's watch roster in general? I mean, we've got future releases coming out, you know, the wazoo, I'm sure in the next you know few months, but, uh, is there anything you're like, man, if there was a unit that did this, that would really, round out your force or or play into something you enjoy i would love to see something f- bridge the five and six point gap between conscripts and sworn brothers would uh, honestly be my favorite thing to see yeah i wonder uh, you know that seems to become more of a pronounced choice in their design mm-hmm. um you know do you do you run conscripts often or is that just sort of like a, a point filler or when you see four points are you just like i'm dropping the ncu in that slot I'm dropping an NCU. <laughs> I, I own one box of conscripts that's painted up. 
Uh, I've played them maybe two or three times, and uh, I just never really understood their purpose other than to just be a block of bodies. Yeah, I feel like, um, and from what I've seen of some of your lists when I was kind of just walking around at the tournaments, uh, you don't seem to be relying heavily on any sort of like the regeneration mechanic uh, Mm -hmm. or, or styles of play. No, uh, since Night's Watch Heroes Box came out, I actually haven't even ran Jon Snow as a commander. <laughs> wow, okay. Which I know a lot of people are probably going to gasp at, but, <laughs> you know, the choices in uh, Otho and Alistair were just, from my play style, much, much stronger. Um, okay, interesting. Otho and Alistair. Mm-hmm. Um, what particularly about Otho are you enjoying so much then as the commander? Just the utility that his cards bring. Um, I love the fact that even when I do play against uh, Lannister players, if they do tear in me or counterplot me playing his card, I can always fish it back by replacing his own. Okay, interesting. So he gives you those buffs with his cards. I mean, his cards are just great in general. And then the ability to continually recycle them as needed. Um I mean, a lot of people probably don't realize it, but serrated enhancement on trackers in the flank or the rear or even in the front is it's terrifying. <laughs> That's because, a good point. Yeah, even if your opponent goes to charge you, if they failed their panic, now they're weakened. So you're taking a flimsy unit relatively, but backing it up with weakened and the possibility of some of your other cards like Shields of the Realm. So if you're if you're uh, someone just getting into Night's Watch, it sounds like one of the advice you might have would be that the uh, Night's Watch Hero Box 2 is kind of like a must-buy. Yes. In my opinion, the Night's Watch Hero Box is a must-buy. Are you running much uh, Donald uh, Noy at all, the defender of Castor, uh, Castle Black? No. Um, I've looked at him. I've tried to build lists with him. I just couldn't ever find anything I was happy with. He seems a little uh, clumsy to me and counterintuitive to the way I'd want to play. Okay, so you're really about getting out there and and uh, being able to deal with those threats efficiently. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, my way of uh, going at this game is very much um, destroying my opponent. Um, I will be more than happy to bypass collecting an objective on my way to getting to destroy a unit on my opponent's side because by destroying that unit i've both scored a point and taken away an opportunity for my opponent to control an objective interesting approach do you find that any particular game modes um are more challenging to play that style into are there certain game modes that you try to avoid wherever possible or do you feel like this is kind of like an all-comer list that you could take any game mode and and do well with Honestly, when we play at the store, we always roll random scenario mm-hmm. and go with that so that we force ourselves to learn every scenario and how to make our lists work in them. Um, the only thing we do shy away from is the Winds of Winter and the uh, new Darkwing's Dark Words. Gotcha. Oh, just because of the the sort of ran- randomness of it? Yeah, the randomness of it to us leads away from actual... Uh, gameplay mattering as much as luck of the cards gotcha although i think you know with uh bowen marsh or somebody like that you might be able to to draft into that pretty well but i i think you're right that's actually those are two game modes that i often do not play mm-hmm. um and i don't think actually i've ever played in an event where we've 
like a, a tournament where that's actually been a scenario around we've played. Um, I think those have maybe just been called out or, you know, randomly not chosen. Um, yeah, we actually, uh, the first tournament that the store ran back in July, uh, Winds of Winter was actually the final round for top table. Oh, no. <laughs> and uh, you met uh, Joe uh, Biasco at PAX. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and him and I met at the top table. And unfortunately, it was a close game. And then, you know, the cards just shifted in round three away from where he was going. And I was able to actually score seven points. Oh, geez. <laughs> that I felt, I remember for me, one of the turning points on those was I, just trying to keep giving him a chance, giving him a chance, trying to really mm -hmm. figure out Winds of Winter. And then when the newer factions came out, things like Free Folk came out, and I jumped in on that. And I realized that, you know, a faction that has more ability to generate tokens or do certain things that a newer faction might not have yet kind of mm -hmm. really skewed the way you could play that scenario. And then I kind of just put it on the shelf and I, I really haven't looked back. Um, but maybe, maybe it's time I give it a second chance, but yeah, it's, it's, it's such a different style of play and it's it kind is. Of not the reason that I play the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It definitely wasn't anything that appealed to anybody at the store with the, uh, basically the objective deck being what decides the winner, not so much how you play on the game, unless you table your opponent. <laughs> so is there any, um, you know, so I know you invest with miniature gaming, you invest a lot of time into painting your miniatures and, and, mm -hmm. and learning the tactics. Is there any thematic faction that might come out? Say gray joys came out in the future. Uh, there was a symbol for them in the uh, most recent rule book. So I think it's hinted pretty strongly that that's going to be a future faction. Is there any faction that you'd be looking forward to down the line that you'd just be like, oh, man, like, I don't care what the stats are. Like, I've just got to play those guys. I would love to see Martells. Martells. Ah, I, would, okay. I would love to see Dorn and House Martell. I mean, yeah. where's what, what the – I'm pretty sure we have that image on the, on the original box art, right? Well, there's like six houses symbols uh, yeah I, do, I believe they are i don't really remember that um i mean i don't know what definitely time frame but eventually all things going well like they're gonna probably churn through a bunch of factions and, and that has to be one right yeah i would hope so um i would like to see all the uh five kings released obviously mm. because this is you know yeah the were the five kings primarily i, I remember um, i was a little surprised when like free folk came out first and i was like sure like i'll take i'll take mance in, in the war of the five kings uh yeah i was actually <laughs> the release of targaryens actually uh surprised me but i understand from a, a fan point of view a lot of people we're wanting them and asking oh, about them. I so mean, I can understand that. That's but. just, that's just printing money there. <laughs> exactly. Cause there's gotta, there's gotta be some way, shape or form. They've got to do dragons at some point. Right. I mean, maybe it's tactics cards, maybe it's miniatures, but that's coming. I just, you know, that's oh, gonna just... that could just be a balancing nightmare. I feel bad for those game testers. Oh, I bet. I bet. <laughs> I don't know. Well, you guys, you're part of a, you're part of the problem down at Mythico Studios. I saw Nick has been posting images and some of the trophies you guys give away at events. They're like 3D printed sculpts. Oh yeah, and Nick does a great job of prize support for us. And there was a he had a dragon on a siege like a it might have been like a, a scorpion bolt thrower. Yeah, I think it was base. a scorpion bolt yeah. thrower. So that's floating on the internet now. People are being like, "Wait, is this like confirmed uh, <laughs> dragon sculpt?" It's like, "No, no, no, no. Like that's Mythico Studios. That's their thing." Yeah, uh, that was actually uh, the trophy for the tournament Chris just won recently. Yeah. 
So I, I know. So it's a, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll have something like that down the line, but that's not selling you. You're not like, I need to have dragons. No, going, actually. Uh, yeah. I would go Dorn before I would do any other faction, man. Yeah. I don't know what else I think. I'm still sticking with free folk for a bit here. I've had yeah. a, I've had an up and down. It's been a roller coaster ride here. But <laughs> actually, uh, I should say, depending on what the Greyjoys look like, if they're very uh, Vikingish themed, I could be persuaded to go that way. I feel way. like, yeah, that could be pretty cool. There's a lot of room. So I'm just wondering, it's like, how do you do? How do you do Greyjoys? Because they're like kind of oh. raiders, you know, kind of. I guess. Would there be like some sort of hit and run tactics? I feel like we've got a lot of maneuverable factions, though. Like, oh, how, yeah. do you, the, how do you the simulate man- raiding <laughs> on the battlefield? I don't know. Um, I can't see them going the way of the horde like they did with the uh, free, free folk. <laughs> no, there's but only room for one horde army. <laughs> there's only room for one horde army. But uh, honestly, I would have no idea. Hmm. Um, I think it'd be interesting to see a very fast army that's maybe lightly armored. But with that comes its own uh, problems of sustainability on the board. Right. So I, I really don't know how they're going to tackle that one. I would imagine Greyjoy is coming sooner than later, though. But I've been pretty happy with how each faction is like distinctly its own thing. Like I feel like every faction you're playing feels very different. And even some of the sub factions, the sub themes can be like their own spinoff. Um, yeah. So there was a player at the uh, last tournament um that was running lannister and all faith list i played against them <laughs> oh man he gave I, me a headache round one. Oh man was a so, great list. i was uh i've been trying to play this styre commander list and mm-hmm. uh i don't think i've won a game ever with it and so at that point in the tournament i was i was using that list. i was like i'm gonna get a win of this i'm gonna figure it out eventually so i was like forget it i'm gonna bust out a list that i'm my backup list that i'm like comfortable with so like i'll just Switch to, and I normally run a Tormund list or I've got another Harma list. So I was like, I'll switch to that. And then I ran to that Faith list and good Lord, it brutalized me. And I was like, I was like, oh no, because I just couldn't wear it down enough. Um, yeah, my and- saving grace that game was simply because I was able to just keep smacking them with uh, Flademen on a charge and then shooting him to finish him off with trackers. That, uh, that makes sense. It's just getting that final amount of damage through. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting is with the new changes to the panic, um, as a free folk player, the units that I'm having being targeted now by like crown zaps are very different. So instead of me like losing entire units of raiders, mm-hmm. um, my elite units, like my cabins, uh, my savage cave dwellers are being targeted. And you're like, well, they've got great morale, but a Cersei crown zap still can threaten a lot. And when those start getting picked off, uh, it's kind of scary. Yeah, so now I know what it feels like to be you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I see a lot of guys um, aren't big fans of it, but I try to remind them all the time. So instead of people losing entire units, yes, it does tend to hurt better morale units now. But before it was morale just wasn't a thing for them. It didn't matter. Right, exactly. They were immune to that game mechanic. (laughs) Yeah, so now you're actually susceptible to it. So a lot of people, I think, are targeting the higher value troops now because they're getting more yeah. bang for their buck out of the panic test. And I think that I like, I think that actually makes sense because you're using a, you know, a, a, a more expensive piece to do more expensive damage. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's great, but it suddenly is a, a shift in play. And it was something coming to 1.5 where I'm looking at the rules and I'm like, hey, you know, panic. This is great. Free folk. We're going to be, 
benefiting from this so much. And then I was like, <laughs> oh no, there's a there's another side of this coin. Yeah, they just picked for. Yeah. So the morale four, morale five units, if you can get a couple debuffs on them, it's very well worth the uh investment to take two to four of them off. Now I just have to stir the pot a little bit. Okay. Um, and I did notice in the list you gave earlier, mm -hmm. you did include Ghost, uh, the direwolf, which is worth a, a VP. And I don't know if you know this, but mm -hmm. uh, direwolves are, are unplayable now, I thought. Wasn't that the consensus that <laughs> oh, yeah, that you everybody might know? <laughs> yeah. Um... I tease because, you know, you're friends with Chris and, and he came on the podcast to talk about some of the challenges. And I think we got a little bit of pushback for some of the stuff, but... Um, <laughs> You know, but you're still running ghosts, and that value is—it's a value added to you there. Absolutely. Um, my issue with how people were viewing the wolves as being unplayable, in my opinion, was because people were playing them incorrectly, and it was showing, and it was bad for the game state. People were just throwing them in front of their opponent, and being like, "All right, you have to deal with this model that literally costs me nothing and benefits you nothing," while I continue to maneuver and do what I want to do. Yeah, I think that Which, makes sense. It's an unhealthy game state. Yeah, I didn't think it was very thematic for, I understand game and fluff are two very different things. Right. But I can't see, you know, Rob Stark <laughs> throwing Greywind out in front of him saying, uh, butcher my wolf so yeah, I can, you yeah, know, charge you. <laughs> and in most other ways, I feel like the game does get both the mechanics and the theme overlapping pretty well. Um, and I've, I will have the caveat that I'm, I'm laughing about this now, but in, uh, I think this month, the skin changers are coming out for free folk where we get a bear that yes. is not, not worth victory points. And I will certainly be sometimes possibly using that as a speed bump. Yeah. But he's it, ghost light. He's ghost, ghost light. There we go. Yes. We coined the phrase here. Yeah. Uh, no, I like the way the, uh, skin changers looked. I think the influence part with the wolf and the hawk or eagle, I think it might be, or very yeah. interesting and can, uh, I think they're going to change things up a lot. So, you know, maybe the allure of the free focus calling to you and you're thinking, Oh, uh, I don't know about that. That's <laughs> <laughs> we won't go that far. Fair, I, fair would, enough. I might have to take that dive because, uh, the gentleman who was playing free folk has kind of fallen really into love of Bolton's. So, Oh geez. Okay. Might have to try to give that a go. Well, now is the time to jump. <laughs> now is the time to jump in. Uh, I'd love to hear some other thoughts on that. We have uh, down the line. We're having in a future episode. We're having one of the top free folk players from Europe come on the podcast. I'm I'm excited to hear what they're saying. Um, but 1.5 has really shaken things up for free folk, and uh, you know it's kind of interesting. I, I had just at 1.4, I'd been like, you know what? I think I need to be taking at least a giant to help push out some damage with Steyr. Mm -hmm. You know. And now I was playing a few games recently where he got zapped, failed the panic chest, and took a a ton of damage. And I'm like, yeah, maybe maybe I want to be avoiding giants. I don't know. <laughs> Their hit point yeah. threshold is just in that zone now where uh, you know bad morale test can be a, a real bad day. It can, but it could also be a real good day. Oh, um, you hit him back. Yeah, you fail, and I'm still here, and I hit you back. Exactly. <laughs> it's so. possible your opponent, you know, messes up and does it too early and gives you early you know, two or three wounds, you could really push out a lot of damage with that. But I, I'm worried about that. This list you have here. Uh, so mm -hmm. I love playing against the Night Watch, like uh, regeneration lists, because okay. I feel like I can shut that down. I, I feel like I've had a lot of success against that. I know what it's very predictable. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're worrying about trying to keep your stuff alive, great. 
and I will be more offensive and just try and push through. But your list here, uh, there's a lot of damage and a lot of threats just all around. Yeah, I like I said, my uh, my take on the game is to be more offensive than defensive. Mm-hmm. Um, while I do like capping objectives early, particularly with um, Ranger Trackers in the uh, – I forget the name of the game mode, which is terrible. But um, With Dance of the Dragons where you can move with it? Yes, football as we call it. Yep, football. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite things is to uh, dash up real quick and shut down an enemy NCU and then just keep backpedaling with my trackers, backpedaling with my trackers. And um, And you can still throw out your uh, vulnerable vulnerable tokens and stuff. Exactly. So I'll go after that one objective. And then, you know, the rest of my force is looking to just basically, you know, axe to face, so to speak. Well, if someone wanted to... uh play in a tournament with the 2019 national champion for a song of western fire where where could they find you playing your games most often uh mythico studios all right down in new jersey sweet and uh i know you guys have you have events there all the time yeah actually our next event i believe is uh the 19th i might be wrong but i believe we have one coming up this month so that'll be you know shortly after this podcast is coming out and uh 19th of january and we'll uh hopefully if you're in the area you've got to check out that store like i said they have a really deep i mean obviously they have a deep roster you're playing there but i think overall you've got a lot of great players there uh, yeah great, chris pizonic is a great player for starks and he's been fooling around with lannisters and uh neutrals i know um my friend brian manny he's a great stark player then you have nick and henry who are both excellent lannister players so if you want to go cut your teeth or learn how to play, that's a that's a great place to start it out. And, yeah, absolutely. You know, I've been down there, and I just have to say that that store, Mythico Studio, is amazing. It's 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 beautiful. Like, not to be that guy, but you know, sometimes you go into a game store and it's just kind of like like a little, little dirty and just like not well put together. <laughs> like, who's running this thing? Like, th- those guys have it down. It's super clean facilities. Everything runs really smoothly. That that event, that was the first one point five tournament ever for a song of ice and fire that we were at and uh that ran so smoothly i I was i was shocked yeah brian kirby does a great job as the uh, tournament organizer for the store and then as always nick nelson they're always putting on great events there so uh you know we look forward to hearing more from you and and uh are you going to go to any of the 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 big tournaments like uh gen con adepticon we're going to see you out to any of those um probably not um it's hard for me to travel that far i have three young kids what i'd really like to see is hopefully uh the nova event down in northern virginia um i used to go there for war machine was always a great time i'd love to see them pick up a song of ice and fire awesome and then maybe we'll see you next year again at pax unplugged yeah yep sweet all right well thank you so much for coming on the podcast thanks for having me chase all right and until next time i hope you get your miniatures on the table